Welcome to What's So Funny, a comedy podcast where we talk about some of the most influential and controversial comedy albums from the 1950s, 60s, and 70s. Sit back, relax, and get ready to laugh. Here's your host, Dave Schwenson. Hi, I'm your host, Dave Schwenson, and today I'm joined by Tom McGallis. Oh my gosh, so great to be here, Dave. Thank you. Well, thanks for being here, Tom. (laughs) Because today's a very special day. You know, we're going to be talking about a legendary comedian, Lenny Bruce. Yeah. And his 1961 album, American. But you know, before we get into that, I know every inquiring minds want to know. Tom, tell us a little bit about yourself. I refuse to. I'm being uh, stalked by the FBI, so I'd rather not. No. (laughs) I primarily do uh, art right now. I mean, I was doing a lot of uh, directing and video and uh, radio. I've been on the radio, but currently a lot of art, Dave. You know, I've seen some of your work on uh, Facebook. Yeah, Facebook. I follow you. It's very Thanks. impressive. I really enjoy it. Yeah. yeah it looked nice. It's always been there, you know, even when I was working on, I used to do animation for Nickelodeon and uh, MTV and all these people, and it was always making art. It was kind of all, always part of it. A lot of these people we're talking about, especially our guy today, have been artists. What's art? What's art, Dave? What is art? It's creating. And I call it comedy, writing comedy, performing comedy. It's a creative art. Right. Okay. It's just like painting a picture, taking a photograph, writing a book. What's the Uh, difference? There's no difference. You're expressing yourself. That's it. Right there, that little last sentence you said, expressing yourself. That's what a lot of these guys that I admire is comics, you know? And and I've done a lot of comedy in my work and my radio, my film stuff. So I always view it as self-expression. Yes, it is. It's just like painting. It's just like drawing. It's just like anything else. Yes. So that's why I'm digging it, Dave. Well, that's great. Well, we're going to have a lot of fun today because we got Lenny Bruce today. But Dave, come on. Before we get started, give us a little bit of your background. I've been working in the comedy biz for a long time and uh, probably known most of all as being a behind-the-scenes guy as a talent booker, talent coordinator, and I've done a lot of clubs and live venues and theaters, festivals, television, that sort of thing. And I've written a few books on the comedy industry. I suppose the one that's best known is How to Be a Working Comic. Mm. And uh, I do comedy workshops, primarily for the improv comedy clubs. Nice. And uh, work with a lot of new comics, and it's a a lot of fun for me to see uh, people who have an interest in doing stand-up comedy. They don't know where to turn. They don't know where to go. So they'll come to one of our workshops, and we get them started. We get them out on stage, tell them a little bit about the business, Mm -hmm. and then watch them flourish afterwards. Has comedy changed a lot over the years on how you approach it? You know, there is a little bit of a change. They And I hate to say it because I do like freedom of expression. I believe in freedom of speech. But uh, there is, with audiences in general, sometimes it depends where you want to play. Comedy mm-hmm. clubs, they can still let it all hang out. But some of the other markets, you've got to pull back a little bit. You know, and I just mentioned freedom of speech. And that is so important with the album and the artist we're going to be talking about today, which is Lenny Bruce. He was it, right, man? I mean, the first guy to freedom of speech, stand up for it and and push it. You know, if you want to say this is ground zero, (laughs) that's Lenny Bruce. I mean, nothing was the same after he exploded on the scene, which was in the late 1950s and early 60s. And he got in a lot of trouble. Yeah, he did. How many times was, was he arrested? I think about six times. Yeah always ongoing court battles over obscenities and things he would say. And, uh, you know, Lenny Bruce, I mean, a lot of these comics they talk about, you know, had kind of tough lives and different things they went through, and he didn't have it easy. He didn't have it easy. And what he did when he went on stage was really expressing himself. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and he was a social commentator. And uh, I think uh, you got to dig in a little bit deep and listen to him and see what he's doing. And it's not the comedy of today, no. but try to place it 1960s and go, wait a minute, this is pretty... He's pushing it, man. Exactly. I mean, that's exactly what you need to do. Because, you know, you watch him and uh, or listen to his clips, which we're going to do here in a few seconds. It's not that dangerous, you know, compared to what you're hearing today or like maybe in the heyday of the 70s and 80s. Lenny Bruce had some thought behind it. He was expressing himself about the way the things, life as he saw it. Mm -hmm. And he'd pop in and out of these characters, which was were funny. And you could tell he had acting chops and aspired to do that and go to Hollywood and write screenplays. I think the more you dig into him, the more you go, man, I dig this guy. You know, in his words, he swings. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I think that's a good way to get into our first clip today. It's from an album that came out in 1961 called American. He's going to talk about being in Lima, Ohio. I worked at a place called Lima, Ohio that I left MCA over. Because I, I don't know if there's any people in sales here, but when you travel in these towns, there's nothing to do during the day. They're very boring. Like, all right, the first day you go through the five and ten. That's one day shot, right? <laughs> The next day, you go to the park, you see the cannon, and you've had it. That's it. That's, forget it. Yeah. The lending library in the drugstore has two Fanny Hearst novels and Pearl Buck. Yeah, it doesn't make it. Eh? So I'm working in this town, and the owner is one of these guys real hung up on his old lady. Chick about 60 years old, still holding on with a leopard leotard, and a brown and white spectator pumps with a whoopee socks. You know, so <laughs> I'm really... Bug working. I'm staying at the show business hotel. The other show people, one guy runs the movie projector in town. And the other guy sells Capizio shoes. So they held me over for spite. Just completely depressing. At night, a city like this, if I want to go between shows, I can go to the Black Hawk, maybe, you know, because I'm playing a jazz group, or a jazz workshop, or anywhere. But in these towns, you can step out of the club, there's you on the road, and you don't see anything but stars. <laughs> stars, beautiful stars, and one Ciccone station, you know. <laughs> and those guys that work nights just don't swing somehow, you know. Okay, Fred, let me see the rack again. That's nice, all right. All right. <laughs> And they always give you matches. Here, take some matches. And you always hear the story about small towns that are wild. You know, Peyton Place is a dirty lie. You know. <laughs> Nothing. You, know. you figure even the waitresses, you know, they're all elderly women with corrective stockings, you know, and mother goose shoes. You know. <laughs> and those handkerchiefs, different ones every day pinned on. So I'm looking to swing. They're bringing me in jelly and chicken soup. Now, I'm there like the third week, and I'm completely whacked out. Just very drug of the time. I get off the floor one night. Waitress says to me, there's a couple want to meet you. That's solid. Go, there's a couple about 65 years old, nice people. Sit down. Guy says to me, uh, you from New York? I said, yeah, originally. So I recognize that accent. Tall cork was water. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> now, we're down, listen, not kidding. We got some relations in New York. Oh, you're anywhere? Rochester. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. You know. 
Yeah, listen, but uh, I bet to uh, listen, the town's a town. I never thought of it that way, but it's pretty wild. The town's a town, yeah. Okay, now, like, it's completely degenerated into, like, it's a rat race, and there's a lot of phonies. And my whole mouth is white from taking the tranquilizer with no water now, you know. And the wife is a real schlub. She's got the short sleeve dress on with a vaccination as big as a basketball, you know. Oh, replete, you know, with a mole with a hair in it. And she's got, she's got one of the, you ever see those crinkly dresses that like, this, this kind you can see through and you don't wanna, you know. Later. Now. Okay, it's like, what's he stops, you know. At a left field, it kind of mop like this and he looks at me and I see sort of a searching hope in his eyes, you know. And the guy goes, uh, you're Jewish? I says, yeah, I think maybe the Bund is hiding it. <laughs> it's your Jewish boy. What are you doing in a place like this? I said, I'm passing. All right, that was Lenny Bruce, the first part of <laughs> yeah. his uh, bit called Lima, Ohio. Uh, that, to me, that is so enlightening, observational comedy of what it's like to be on the road. Yeah, man. It, it's little detail and just his casual the storytelling is it's is sweet yes. you know it's he goes on later to do this sort of really this satire and 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 digging in all you know from religion to on and on to politics right. but this is kind of a sweet little like he said a, a observation of stuff on the road the little details the vaccination scar yes. as big as a basketball yes. the, the the hose the see-through dress that you don't want to see through you know i mean little things that are just sweet and yeah. nice and especially being from new york city and being in a small town in the midwest which we all done and i'm not saying anything in small towns i you know i love small towns i love big cities but he's a swinger. Swinging, man. <laughs> Swinging in Lima. Jazz guy hanging out, and he's there for three weeks, and he's just out yeah. of his mind. And it's so true with a lot of these artists that do tour and travel around. People don't realize that. They think, what a, what a great life. How exciting. But I can remember talking to comedians calling me from Alaska in the middle of winter because oh, they had gigs up there. Yeah. Or they're calling me from southern Florida during a hurricane. They help me. <laughs> and, yes. <laughs> and like I say, I'd be hey, this is great. You know, you get to hang out in all these exotic places. Well, there's a hurricane outside yeah. right now. Yeah. They canceled the shows. I can't get out of here. Yeah. And uh, just different things. You're away from family. You're away from friends. You're away from things that you were, you know, your everyday comforts. It's lonely, man. It is. And some of these guys, you know, I mean, like Lenny and have dabbled in, yes. uh, to sort of medicate themselves a little bit because of the boredom. Yes. Because uh, you, you work an hour and get 24. No, I'm bad with math. And this is also, Dave, before the internet and before television exploded like it like it is. So, you know, America, the, the little towns were still different. Yes. Now you'll go to, you know, Flagstaff, you'll go here and they kind of all have the same stores, the same stuff. These towns really were, like you said, you know, he's going out from New York and Look, I'm in Lyme, Ohio, and I'm staying at the uh, uh -huh. Showbiz Hotel, and yeah. guy, you know, asks me personal question about New York. What yeah. are you doing here? Yeah. So it's kind of we got friends in New York, Rochester. <laughs> yeah, right. right. That's the city. That's <laughs> right. It's like man. going back to Lima, except it's in the state of New York. All right, well, we're going to continue with this train of thought here. Lenny Bruce stuck in Lima, Ohio, and I don't mean that in a bad way. No, people from Lima are sweet and nice. They really are. But this is back in the, you know, late 1950s, early 60s. When they weren't. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we're going to pick up where he uh, is going to tell us more about Lima, Ohio, and this is Lenny Bruce off his 1961 album, American. 
Eight o'clock in the morning, I'm completely zonked out, really sleeping. Nine o'clock in the morning, the phone rings. Ring. Hello, it's Mr. Schechner. Who? The people from last night, Mr. Schechner. Oh, yeah, what's happening, baby? So we didn't wake you, did we? No, man, I always get up at nine o'clock. I like to get up about 15 hours before work, you know. Give me a chance to get coffee, brush my teeth and everything. So why we called you? I was wondering about that, man. My wife wants to know, what do you want to eat? You're putting me on, aren't you? (laughs) At nine o'clock, anything. I'm not a fussy eater, man. A chiclet, a fig newton, I don't care. Yeah, yeah, I know the address. Solid, I'll be there. Now I get over there. Now, mind you, I'm not going over there with a patronizing kind of, you know, I'm gratefully invited me over. I come over, they invite some chick over for me to look at. Did you ever dig? How can a chick look bad in a knit dress, right? Look like a hockey stick with hair on it. Sunk. Ridiculous. Terrible. Really. You know, the lipstick on the teeth. Now, we're talking, you know. Cool, and, you know, and he's showing me all the pictures and everything, how the house used to, and the, how dirty the other people were who lived there. And, and we cleaned for months. And, and they take me around the house, and they, yeah, it's a very nice and light, lovely closet. It's nice. <laughs> it's nice to have the towels folded. That's uh, it's just a lot of people with the bath towels in the bottom. You get the washcloths there, and it's nice like that. Yeah. Uh, they always have a piano that nobody plays. The whole function of the piano is to have that brown eight by ten picture, that schlub in the army saluting. That's that's Morty, lost some weight. Now, dig this. As soon as they find out that you've played the coast, you know, you've been in Hollywood, for some reason they get vicious with you. The guy says to me, You in Hollywood, right? Yeah? That's true about Liberace? <laughs> oh, God. What's that? Don't worry, you know. He don't know, right? Well, if you tell me, I don't know. He's a sissy. Well, I don't know the man's behavior patterns. I mean, I never hung out with him or anything like that. But then I get good and vicious, I say. So I don't know about Liberace, but um, Eddie's a big fruit, you know that, don't you? <laughs> really? <laughs> Are you kidding him and Georgie? It's disgusting. I never knew that. Where do you think the money for the Benet Brith goes? Are you kidding? Cooling out those beefs all the time. <laughs> Lenny Bruce is such a genius as an observational comic. He's, okay, writing these sketches. I can visualize. I can see all this stuff happening to this mm-hmm. this this guy. I mean, he's a swinging jazz yeah. fan out of New York City. Irritated. And, irritated as <laughs> hell. Yeah. And, you know, the annoyance, the thing, the, oh, all the, the detail. And it, it's a, you can hear how it influenced so many. And Lenny Bruce is such an influence on a lot of those guys, a lot of those comics that came after him. Because, um, you know, really before that, they, no one talked like Lenny Bruce. Nobody brought up these subjects. You know, again, they could do dirty jokes on the 50s albums, but they were just like yeah. knock-knock jokes kind of thing. This guy, I don't want to call him just this guy, Lenny Bruce, you know, really took things, really took things that he observed, and it might have happened to him. Of course, he exaggerated a little yeah. bit and things, but he turned it into comedy that you could follow. Skits. 
It's like a scene from a movie. He's explaining it to you. You can see it. You can feel it. Yeah, you can really sense that he was, was into show business. You know, like, even though it's, it's, and I mean that, like, I've seen other clips and seen him, and he really wanted to be part of show business. But he was also plagued with this, I, I'm, I gotta be honest and tell you yeah. how it is. Like I would tell you if we were sitting in my living room. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he paid the price for that. Well, you know, he started out as a being, wanted to be an actor and yeah. a writer. Yeah. And he was writing screenplays that didn't get sold. <laughs> he was trying to do plays that didn't get seen. But yeah, it was show business. He was like, hey, a swinging guy. It's, it's almost like, yeah. you know, I don't want to bring it up like Saturday Night Live with, hey, the wild and crazy right. guys. But yeah, they were, you know, nightclub guys and snapping their fingers yeah, and, and yeah. everything was swinging, babe, and jazz. Yeah. It was all about jazz. It was all about jazz. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he was very musical, Lenny Bruce, too. I mean, his material and how he delivered it and stuff. It really like You can hear uh, that cadence. Yes. Yeah. That's interesting because I think that's why I love that guy, man. So much is that is that sort of the speech pattern and the way that it was kind of like and that jazzy sort of influence and and I know he was a big art lover too you know if he, I heard him on some video talking about Gauguin exhibit he's like yeah you got to see this man it really it it'll just rip you apart it's, it swings man and you go wow he just liked the creative explosion that comes across man I mean you, yeah. that's why you got to give him a chance and listen to him and listen to more of him. I wish there was more, Dave. I wish there was actually more clips of him on television, which he rarely could get on. Well, I think he only did, like, maybe six television appearances altogether. Like, four of them were on the Steve Allen Tonight Show. And then Hugh, Jack Hefner's, Parr. Hugh Hefner's thing. That was, yes. You know. <laughs> and you see him come out, and again, it's Lenny Bruce, but, you know, it, according to, like, today's standards, it's pretty tame. Yeah. We had to present them with his writing. Like, this is what I'm going to talk about. Yeah. For a guy like that, imagine that. I got to type it all out. These are the words. And then like, man, that's not really how I swing. You know? <laughs> I, mean, I might, you know, I'm going to improvise a little bit, man. You know, I, you know, it's wow. And he was banned from, or some bits were, um, uh, he wasn't allowed to do, I think, on the Steve Allen. It was a, uh, a Jewish bit that he was like, what? And it seemed tame in, by his standards and kind of, I think, shocked him with how little you could do on television. Yeah. We interrupt. Hey, what's going on here? We interrupt this program. Uh, we're trying to do a podcast here. <clears throat> do you know this guy? Like I was saying, we interrupt this podcast to bring you the news. Retrotone News, a podcast brought to you by our sister channel, Evergreen Podcasts, where I, your host, Raj Bigsby, give you a snappy summary of the latest events and happenings at home and abroad. Are you done? Almost! Visit evergreenpodcast.com to listen to Retrotone News and more. Now, back to your regularly scheduled podcast. Oh, boy. Well, let's get into that a little bit because he was banned from a lot of places. I mean, this guy was really, you know, knocking down the barriers for comics that came later. You know, back in the late 50s, early 60s, they wanted the... uh, swinging Las Vegas kind of funny guy, and Lenny Bruce was out there talking truth. He was saying things that, you know, maybe he shouldn't have said in public. That's the way people looked at it in the 50s. And um, how he really felt about society and everything from prejudices to words, language, and he presented it. And a lot of people took offense. And so nightclubs in different cities would ban him from coming in, and he couldn't play a lot of places. And then he started getting arrested. Well, and then he had the court cases, and that's why he ends up, you know, at the end, bankrupt. 
And if you watch his later shows or listen to him, again, there aren't that, there's not that much film of him, but uh, he is talking about the obscenity cases and his defense. And you know, he really, it played on him. Of course it did. It had to. And he wore a trench coat on stage. Oh, yeah. When he performed. Right. Because, and this just only came out recently. His daughter, Kitty, said this. And a lot of comics didn't know why he wore a trench coat on stage. That was part of his, like, his uniform or something. No, because he knew he was going to get arrested. Yeah. And he knew. <laughs> My car keys are in the Yeah, his, yeah. he couldn't get back to the dressing room. His toothbrush is in there, his car keys, whatever. Because they're taking him right to jail. Because he said one swear word. Yes. Think about that. I mean, you say one thing and they rush the stage, an obscenities charge. Yeah. All right, this next clip here is interesting to me because um, one of his contemporaries, one of his fellow comics. We're going to listen to Lenny Bruce describe what happened when Shelley Berman went on stage at uh, Mr. Kelly's, the nightclub in Chicago. The mobsters were talking a little bit loud in the Ooh, audience. Be careful, Lenny. Uh, have you any of you ever seen Shelley work in person? Yes. <laughs> the thing that really cracks me up about uh, Shelley is that as far as hecklers are concerned, well, if you've seen him work, you know, if anyone really breathes too heavy while he's on, he gets a coronary. You know? <laughs> we get shook up here. So knowing this is his attitude towards uh, any you know, confusion in the audience, he's opening up the Doville. I'm going to book the ringside. And I'm going to have out there Bell Barth, <laughs> B.S. Pulley, very nice dishes here. Now, Chicago is quite unique. Chicago is so corrupt, it's thrilling. <laughs> you know, in most cities, you have a continuous strife between the law enforcement and the forces of evil. But in Chicago, it's nice. They all get along, you know, and it's hard to tell the difference between the two factions. But as far as the yeah. is concerned, or Mr. Kelly's. So you get guys sitting inside that are real stark as tough, tough, tough guys. And these guys, my concept of a tough guy is a guy who wear a wool suit with no underwear. <laughs> Now, these guys sit there, and uh, they sit there with a white and white shirt, with a tie with a big horse on it, you know. And these guys are really tough. And a lot of people say, yeah, they have the guns. They don't need guns. They can yell and break your rib cases, you know. <laughs> and they're disgusting. See, they don't have any offices. That's where they meet the club, see. And they sit inside, short in tomorrow's business, you know. I refuse to testify on the ground. And they, my early good, blah, blah, blah. Now, I've worked enough bust-out joints to spot people and know that you don't try to censure these kind of guys, you know. Because you can't win, you know. If you, in fact, these guys can get off you, Ivy League fruit. God bless you, mister. Okay, folks, they can throw up on my shoes. Now, I think it's cute. Isn't that cute what he did? Here's another bit. Forget. Because if you do out with them, guys, see, you really made those guys look like jerks. What are you going to do next? Well, I got a new bit, now it's called packing. <laughs> Shelly Berman has only worked the east side, not Hester Street or Broom Street. But he's worked like Blue Angel with illiterate, erudite audience. So he don't know. These guys are sitting there. They're talking. He starts to spread some, right? Hey, if you're dead, right, right, right. Oh, hmm. This new guy, it's fundamental. Hmm, Dr. Freud. Why don't you go to hell? Shut up now. Hey, that's very right. They can't hear him because they can't imagine anyone talking to them that way. Hey, that's very right. This new guy, why don't you go home now? Your cage is clean. Okay, now she knows it's a dangerous table if he sees the maitre d' in the back of the room, like crossing himself. So he keeps zinging in and hit him, all right? Now maybe Shelley will get through with the line that these guys hear. Unfortunate for him. <laughs> Listen, you guys, let's get those shirts in Sicily. <laughs> yeah, these guys, they do dinosaur things. <laughs> yeah. Now, the maitre d' 
He goes about 105 pounds, yeah. And like the owner, Oscar Mariental, this is Boys Town to him, yeah. Tells the Major D, like the guy sitting ringside, his pinky ring weighs more than the Major D. <laughs> hey, get those guys out of here, they're out of line. Throw them the hell out, they're guns and everything. Get them out of here. <laughs> so Major D, you all talk the same as you go, schmuck, you know what I do? Sitting next to Milwaukee, Wisconsin. What do you want from me? I don't want to hear that. It's your job. Get them the hell out of here. Of course, this is the owner in his car on the phone telling him all these things. Get him out of the room now. We find the poor maitre d' in the kitchen writing a note. Dear Toledo Teddy, I'm the father of three children. I've always admired your work. That most cafes are owned by people of a Semitic background or Italian people. Now the generalization always is that, uh, well, first of all, these groups, these ethnic groups, object definitely to the fact that in motion pictures, the criminals are always either Italian or Jewish people. And there's great arguments pro and contra. One thing that screws up is very few Japanese mafias. <laughs> but as far as cafe owners, I prefer working for Italian bosses, which may sound a little bizarre to you. Jewish bosses always nudge you. Yeah. Why well, you didn't do a Jolson finish? Blah, 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 until people walk out. Tiny bosses never, after the show, I say, hey, all right, sit down, right? Don't talk to you, right? Yeah, the thing about Lenny Bruce, I mean, he does these skits. You know, he's not just telling joke, joke, joke. I mean, he, I'm visualizing this stuff now. Characters, everything. Sound effects. And, you know, Tom, I've spent a lot of years of my life in nightclubs. It's my job. Yeah. Okay, and these guys would come in. You know, you tough guys or different, you, you know. You see them in the back. In the you back see them in the back. You talk to them. You hope to stay friends with everyone. Yeah. They don't have an office. Even back then, it was a <laughs> you know, virtual office. But, yeah, it was kind of thing. So when he's describing the maitre d', get him out of there, and the owner's calling from the car, you know, and, and all this stuff, it's so true. And so, again, he's just taking real life situations, true facts. You know, they say comedy, you know, good comedy is based on truth. And he's just talking about how it really is. Yeah. You know, how it was in the nightclub business back then. But then Shelley Berman, you know, who is not going to take any kind of nonsense mm-hmm. either, mm-hmm. and he doesn't realize who he's talking to. I mean, to me, that's a very funny, funny and honest bit. And, you know, Dave, a lot of people that were there that night or would have been watching it probably didn't take it in like Lenny did. Or, you know, I mean, he saw it and thought this whole situation is absurd. And Shelley Berman had a reputation also. I don't know how deserved it was, but he had a reputation for being difficult in the early 60s. Interesting. Yeah, there's I very, didn't know that. There's a very famous clip of him screaming at this young kid, this agent, young kid, 20s, his agent, because a telephone went off backstage when Shelley was on stage finishing his act with a very emotional kind of thing. And all of a sudden, this phone mm-hmm. rings in the background, and he went nuts. And so he had this reputation for being uh, difficult yeah. and hard to handle. And, and I don't know if he really, really was or not. That might have just been a... a case of that, yeah. but it was televised. It was part of a television special. Oh, and it aired. Yeah, that it aired, aired on oh, TV on a news awesome. report. Well, we, I knew Berman did have this sort of, his act, he, you know, when you see these bits he did, they would, you know, whether he was on the phone and he's doing, they were really rehearsed tight little theatrical pieces so you could see that something would throw the guy. Whereas Lenny, I think, was, you might roll with him, man. Right, yeah. you know, the guy's back there in stages. The guy's swinging back there. I don't know what's happening. Is you know, Lenny was part of the business. I mean, that's the whole thing. When you're part of the business and you know what's going on behind the scenes and underneath the layers that you see on stage, you know, a lot of audience people, I mean, they're there to enjoy the show and they want to laugh. It's a comedy show. Everything's great. But there's all kinds of stuff going on behind the scenes. Oh, yeah. And between the comics. I always said, you know, especially hanging around the New York City improv, the original one, I always thought it was funnier hanging around the bar. 
yeah. listening to the comics out there than what they were doing on stage. That's yeah, because okay? it was real. But it was real. But it was all yeah. like inside stuff, and they're knocking each other. I mean, you think you know they can like you think. Shelley Berman can go off on the mobster guys sitting in the eyes. Well, you ought to hear how the comics go after each other. Yeah. I mean, yeah. to me, it was just hysterical. But that's the kind of stuff Lenny Bruce was listening to, and he was taking that, what was going on, and sharing it with the uh, everyday people, if you call them that, or the audience. You don't realize how dangerous this situation is. You got yeah. these guys, you don't know who these guys are sitting at this table, and you got the guy on stage coming after him. He it's, may not get it's out great. of it. You know, and Lenny's quick, man. I mean, that's the thing that balancing, you know, Characters, stuff like that, you know, yeah. sound effects, background, and narration, and telling the story. And it's, it's a real art to that and a real craft to kind of being able to balance all these elements and keep it going without being total chaos. Well, you know, that's why he was such an influence. Well, you know, with Lenny Bruce talking about real-life situations and, and um, using this in his humor, his, his creative writing that he was doing, you know, his life was not that easy. And he kind of talks about this in a bit that's also on this album we're listening to today, American, called The Lost Boy. If you're interested in genetics and proof of environment, there is a story about a kid, Thomas Rulio. He was two months old, and he was abandoned by his parents in Yellowstone National Park. They were forgetful campers. They remembered about the fire, but they forgot the kid. The kid, two months old, is running around in the woods, right? Now, a pack of wild dogs find and they adopt him. But he never felt quite accepted. And they kept saying, we chose you. How they do with the kids who were adopted. Now, the parents didn't realize they had forgotten him until later on that floor they were showing home movies. I guess, yeah, it looks like time. Yeah. Where the hell is this? I don't know, you packed. Well, I don't know what the hell is. Now, these dogs, for 12 years, they raised this kid. The stepfather was a German shepherd dog who said at the time, he tried to bring the boy a bite, but then, those kind of shticks, right? Now, he is running around, walks in all fours, environment assumes all the canine habits, eats raw meat, does all the dog bits. Now, the dogs die of old age. Hunters are going through Yellowstone. They pick the kid up, they take him home. Here's where environment tells the story. Two years. The mental processes along dormant become surprisingly acute. Well, two years, this kid graduates. Grammar school, high school. Two months later, Caltech, a degree in astrophysics. Five better Capitan. Slipping out. Dig this. Here's a kid who was raised by a pack of wild dogs, been with human beings for two years and two months, is now a five better Capitan, a leader in the community. And people are screaming. But here's where tragedy and again environment steps in. A month later, after commencement, he was killed chasing a car. <laughs> The Lost Boy. That's a wild piece. It really is. And it says so much about Lenny Bruce. I think his, um, his background, his youth, being shuffled around to different homes mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, after his parents divorced, different families, and he had to conform. Yeah. And the thing was, you look back at when he was doing this, the late 50s, early 60s. I always picture all the men looking Tight. like Dwight, Dwight Eisenhower. Yeah. <laughs> they all went out with hats on and yeah. ties and yeah. you had to look pro- proper. No one jogged. Yeah, nobody wore jeans or <laughs> no. anything, you know. No. That was it. T-shirts, it, it, that it was, was for peasants. It was like, leave it to Beaver, the house. It was you know, ultimate and Harriet. conformity yes, at yes. that time. Tight. And the thing is, Lenny Bruce was thrown into that situation to conform and he couldn't do it. He couldn't do it. He's like the kid chasing a car then. It's just his nature to rebel. And I said, I think it says a lot about him and even how he turned out. And, you know, and they called him, Dave, like this uh, sick comic and something that he didn't really 
like that tag, didn't like the tag sick. He was commenting about sick society. Yes. You know? Yes. You know? That's great, Tom. That's great. Thank you so much. I thought that was brilliant. But yeah, he was doing this social commentary that how he saw it, and it just, he was ahead of his time. Uh, or maybe he was setting the times. Commenting about the times. Yes. Just, you know, rooted in saying, look, this is where we're living. This is what's happening. He paid a price, though, Dave. I mean, think about it, man. It's like if you throw yourself into the fire like that and go, this is, you know, I'm going to, I'm going all in and I'm going to comment and I'm going to throw it out here and I'm going to be arrested and all this. He threw himself into it. It's kind of like, in in a way, I don't know if he viewed it as a sacrifice or if that's all he could really do at that point, but he paid the price, man. And every every time he hit the stage, and the guy, like we said, went broke. He went against the grain, all right? He he talked about things that maybe he kept secret, people didn't want to know about. And one of these, I think this is a fascinating clip, that he did from his album, American, but he also did it on the Steve Allen show, who Steve Mm -hmm. Allen was the host of The Tonight Show, before Jack Parr, before Johnny Carson, it was Steve Allen. And he was a very big uh, supporter of Lenny Bruce. Oh, yeah, Steve definitely was. Fascinated by it. Yes. But, you know, back in the late 50s, early 60s, people didn't talk about drugs. No. But he was already talking about teenagers sniffing glue. Yeah, (laughs) Which was not a common topic. (laughs) Uh, Airplane glue. Airplane glue. Well, I'll tell you what, instead of giving up too much of this, you want to go ahead and introduce this one, Tom? Tell us we're going to hear. Yeah, the bit is called... Airplane glue. That's all I wanted to hear. (laughs) (laughs) Let's hear it. Yeah, okay. Here we go. Lenny Bruce. There were kids, eight and nine years old, that were sniffing airplane glue to get high on. (laughs) These kids are responsible for turning musicians on a lot of things they never knew about, actually. So I had a fantasy how it happened. Kid is alone in his room. It's Saturday. Kid is played by George McCready. Well, let's see now. I'm all alone in the room, and it's Saturday. I'll make an airplane. That's what I'll do. I'll make a land cast, a good structural design. I'll get the balls wood here, cut it out, sand it off. Now a little airplane glue. I'll rub it on the rag, and, uh... Here now. <laughs> oh, uh, I'm getting loaded. Is this possible loaded on airplane glue? Maybe it's stuffy, and you know. I'll call my dog over. Filica? Filica, come here, darling, and smell this rag. Smell it, you freaky little doggy. <laughs> Smell the rag, Flicka. Flicka. Flicka! He's up there. I've done it. I'm the Louis Pasteur of junkydom. <laughs> Out of my skull for ten cents. Well, there's much work to be done now. Horses' hooves to melt down. Noses to get ready. Cut to the toy store. Any toy store. Any neighborhood. Kid walks in. Hello, Schindler. Nice to way you got here. <laughs> Give me a nickels worth of pencils, big boy tablet, some juju beans, tailspin Tommy book, and 2,000 tubes of aeroplane glue. <laughs> I hope you can sleep tonight, Mr. Lee Page. Oh, heck yeah. <laughs> oh, gee. You know, and I want to mention that George McCready, he talks about in this bit was a very uh, he was a well-known character actor at that time and i've heard clips of him and lenny bruce That's it. he his, nails it, it yeah he was yeah. doing impressions and see people won't remember that but if you see him do this clip now i've watched this clip uh him doing it on the steve allen show and the funny thing is too you know they had to type out 
they had to print out the act he was going to do oh, to have yeah. it approved before they would put him on television. And he pretty much had to stick to it. Yes. Is, is, you know, that took a lot of guts, too, for Steve Allen. It know? really did. Yeah. It really did, because Lenny Bruce was so controversial. And really, that's the way show business is. People think about their ratings and uh, who's watching, their audience, all this stuff. And Lenny Bruce did not uh, sit well. You know, they were hiding it under the table. <laughs> the but gate- you, you could see his fascination with, it, with uh, you know, drugs. Even yes. at, I mean, at that point, I mean, because— he was doing it, man. He was busted a lot for, you know, opiates and... Yeah, it's such a sad story. He is such a sad ending for someone like that. It's a shame. Man, what, how would Lenny Bruce... What, how would he do today in today's waters? My thoughts or feelings on looking at his trajectory, dead at 40, I, I think he would have continued in his Hollywood pursuit, maybe written more, because... I think that he had, this progression was feeling like it was going to be a little deeper work, maybe the movies. He was someone from the, I mean, he was 30s and the 40s. He was in the service. In the 50s, he started talking, speaking his mind. In the 60s, and by 1966, he was gone. Mm-hmm. And he left behind this legacy that, again, the others picked up on and ran with it. No. no. It's who he was in his era, and he's, he's into it. That's, I can't see him outside of that. Yeah. Interesting, interesting. All right, we're coming to the end of this. Uh, oh, my gosh, it went by so fast, It really Dave. did. It was so interesting. Yeah. Talking about Lenny Bruce, focusing on his album, American, and just um, the legacy he left behind. This was ground zero for the comedy that we see today here today. He's a legendary showbiz comic, and it's fascinating to look at his life. It really is, man. I dig him. He swung. Thank you very much, Tom, and thank you, everyone, oh, for dude. listening. And... Uh, There's more of these. This isn't just the only one you're doing, right? I hope so. Anyway, uh, we're your hosts. I'm Dave Schwenson. Yeah, and I'm Tom McGallis. Hanging out with Dave today. He invited me. Yeah, Tom, we had a blast, (laughs) didn't we? All right, thank you, everyone. Thanks for listening, and keep laughing. You've been listening to What's So Funny. Catch us next week when we meet co-host Kelly Thulis and listen to the one, the only, Steve Martin. A special thanks to executive producers Joan Andrews and Michael D'Aloya, producer Sarah Wilgroup, and audio engineer Eric Coltnow. Hi, this is comedian and writer, and let's be honest, I do a lot of things. This is Dean Archipotis, the host of Whiskey Business, the podcast not so much about whiskey as it is one with whiskey. Yes, we drink and talk about whiskey, but we do so much more with so many interesting people. For example, we talk to comedians like Greg Warren. You know, I don't want to brag, but let's just say I can walk into a Red Lobster and get whatever. You know, I think the pause right there is probably more important than the word. Amazing athletes like boxing champion Buster Douglas. When a fighter's down and he's looking for his mouthpiece instead of trying to get up. That's when I knew it was over. Yeah, yeah, right? And, yes, Bigfoot chasers. Do you believe in Bigfoot? And if so, does he really eat beef jerky? <laughs> the Bigfoot thing is people have seen these, and, and I've seen a lot of compelling evidence about it. It's Whiskey Business with Dino Tripotis. Join us for what we call a good conversation with a good pour. You really can't ask for much more than that, can you, people? Check us out at whiskeybusinesspod.com, a proud member of the Evergreen Podcast Network. This podcast was produced with the support of the Ohio Motion Picture Tax Credit and in partnership with the Ohio Development Services Agency.